Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian, and it's been a very, very busy week. In some ways, a sad weekend this past weekend. I know we're recording a couple days late, and, of course, a very long week for both of us because we have non-podcast-related jobs. But we're here to talk about the U.S., talk about their knockout against the Netherlands. We're here to talk about the quarterfinals of the World Cup and all the upcoming glory and all that. As you can see, and even mentioned this to Rian beforehand, I accidentally put on like a Paris France shirt. I don't know if you can see it, but um, I have family in France and they're obviously very excited. Uh, and I'm calling the England France quarterfinal, the colonizer Derby. That's its official name on paper, but uh, nonetheless, nice, nice. I'm uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, the Caribbeans uh, versus the Africans, the, bro. the whole pod, by the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the diaspora Derby. That's what it should really be called. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, gosh. Anyway, what what is up? What's new? How are you? Ellis. Oh, I'm doing great. I was gonna say your uh shirt. I actually so I've been watching um Andor recently. Really, really like it, by the way. But nice. um I was gonna say your shirt, the okay. emblem, looks very similar to uh like the like symbol of the show, basically. I was like I was I was very thrown off. Interesting. Oh, I didn't even realize that because I, I haven't seen the symbol. I've heard of the show, obviously, but um, yeah, that is a little. It looks it looks more Greek than anything when I really look it's, at it. But Star Wars, one hundred percent where you're looking for. Yeah, it. it's on. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. It's um, the show's on Hulu or is it on Disney Plus? I for, I know it's like just recent, it's on right? Disney Plus, yeah. So they, yeah, so they okay. had done like uh, I think when the season ended, they did. L- something on ABC where they like put the first two episodes on um, like what's it called uh, like local television. Uh, and then they put the episodes up on Hulu. And I think that's maybe where I first watched the first episode, the first two episodes. And then was able to get my sister's Disney plus login, which was vital. Uh, and, nice. and that was pretty much uh, <laughs> how I started to actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. No, very smooth. Um, yeah, I need to watch more TV like that. Like I've been in and out of work this week and I haven't really got a chance to like watch. I like I've had time. It's just more like, what do I want to do at that time? I even tomorrow, right? At least time recording, there isn't much in the way of World Cup games. So maybe that's my chance to do it. While Rian is funnily enough, probably where I should be tomorrow. I will be um, not there. So I'm very much looking forward to having some free time. But Rian, we do have games to talk about as it relates to the World Cup. We have a lot that happened over the last couple days. No games today. Time recording on Wednesday. No games tomorrow, Thursday. And then the quarterfinals kick off Friday and into Saturday. We're going to start with the U.S. men's national team. Like we have always done this World Cup. Um, Obviously, different tone. Different tone from last time we were talking about them. Where do you want to start with the positives or do we want to start with the negatives of of this game? Obviously, the U.S. men's national team knocked out by the Netherlands three to one um, in a very bizarre ending in some ways to this game. Yeah, I think there's a few ways uh, I kind of want to take this discussion. Like, obviously, we start with the game and then like we got to also think about, you know, 
broad pictures, like grandiose view of like what what this uh, World Cup kind of like meant for the team. But let's just get into the uh, the saddest part of it, which is the the loss against the Netherlands itself. Um, Ellie, I don't know about you, so I, I went to watch this uh, at a bar this past weekend. Um, it was very packed, and then it was, you know, there was probably one or two too many, I believe, chants that I heard before this game started. But uh, outside of that, the atmosphere was pretty great. And I think, honestly, like, the excitement was there and everything felt like... I mean, I generally felt like going to the game that we had a good chance of of being like, either tied or very close like to the end. And yeah, that did happen for like a few minutes in the second half where we were, we were briefly like, within touching distance of an equalizer. But um, I think overall, like what surprised me the most about this game was that I think we talked about after the uh, Iran result. And once we knew that the U S was playing the Netherlands, I think we talked about like the pattern of play that, that we expected this game to go. And I think what surprised me the most um, was I expected the pattern of play of this game to be more like the game against England, right? But in reality, it was a bit more like the games against Wales and Iran. And um, but before I throw it back to you, I think we had talked a bit about the Dutch's midfield, and I had asked the question previously, like, oh, I wonder if there'd be a game where Martin De Bruyne <laughs> comes in. And, yeah. you know, monkey, paw, curled. <laughs> it just um, not the game I expected him to come in. But I think when you look at like, how the, the game actually played out, it made a lot of sense. So uh, what, what did you kind of take away from, from the game? And then we can maybe get into the nitty gritty of like what actually happened. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want to get into the nitty gritty because I, I actually went back and just took a look at a lot of the statistics, a lot of the highlights, a lot of what we did well and a lot of what we didn't do well. But at a very high level, I think there are a couple of things to be really proud of with this team, first and foremost, obviously getting out of the group stages, right? Progress, continual growth. Those are things that we can certainly hang our, our hats on very highly. I think when it comes to this game specifically, right, I mentioned winning the midfield battle as the key to this game, right? I thought in large portions of this game, we did win the midfield battle. However, when it mattered maybe the most, we maybe did not. And I think that's that's the difference between a really good side and a good side. And that's, I think, what you saw in this game. At a very high level, I think Memphis coming back killed us. I think his first full game starting in this World Cup was huge for him. I thought there was a lot to be maybe potentially tweaked about this lineup going into the second half. Um, that, to your point, like this game did play out less so like the England game than we thought, but I don't think that's necessarily on the U.S. at the same time as well. And I'll get into that in a second. Um the last, the last piece of my notes, and as we transition to the actual game itself, I thought the po some of the positives, like I literally have in my notes, positives are fullbacks when they were in attacking phases of the game, 
negatives are fullbacks when they are in defending phases of the game. Like that's, I think, what really defined <laughs> how a lar- large portion of this um, critical moment to this game went. So those are my those are my high level thoughts. But I think there's there's still, like I said, a lot to be proud of. Yeah, yeah, and and we can get into you know that that part after after this. But um, jumping into the game itself, Ellis, I I think that one of the big takeaways from this is that just a very very ruthless lesson was taught in the um definitely in the first half, but o- overall in that game, um, the, you know the the U.S. did outshoot the Netherlands seventeen to eleven, but we never really reached the dutch side of um of execution in the final third i mean that's something that we've seen time and time again with the us um this team in the past few years but it really felt like that was kind of the biggest difference between the two teams oh, we can get into the tactics too but um from the us well, side well, before yeah, before you just, go any further before you go any further mm-hmm? you mentioned shots and i want to i just want to touch on that really quickly you talked about last time how you hate the idea about shots on goal versus actual shots right measuring the Mm -hmm. the level and the strength i guess if you want to call it that of chances that are created i think in some ways like this is the counter argument to to your point right like the netherlands were very ruthless and we'll talk about all this in a second while the u.s did have maybe more shots were they higher quality shots Outside of Pulisic and or Pulisic and whatever Haji Wright did that is inexplainable by physics, like that's <laughs> I can't of wait to get onto that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I think that's in some ways like a weird counter argument to to your point. Not, and I full, I fully agree with your point from last time. It's just this knockout football and knockout tournaments are so freaking weird. That's what I've also taken away from yes. this as well. But continue. Yes. continue. You, you were you were talking about yes, I mean, and that first chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, knockout turns being weird is is yeah a whole other thing. <laughs> but you know, his chance in that second minute was the best, or maybe it was the third minute. It was the best chance of the game from you know either side. If you're looking at just the XG, but when you think about it from the US specifically, like that was the best chance they created all day, and that was a slightly like broken play, right? Like the it was a great pass from from Tyler Adams, like to to be sure, but you know the ball was bouncing around a bit before it finally got to him and he was able to play that pass to to Pulisic, but you know ultimately like, even in those moments um when it looked like we were about to create a chance and we broke into space, you saw a lot of the same issues as we saw in the past where, you know, the final pass or the final decision either wasn't good enough or it wasn't the correct decision uh, from almost every um, U.S. attacking player. And I think part of that, you have to give a lot of credit to the to Louis van Gaal and, and the Netherlands as they really just didn't allow us to play through the middle at all. And at the same time, didn't allow us to get the ball out to um, our fullbacks nearly as, as much as we have in the past. And that really uh, um, stunted a lot of the attacks for, for the U.S. Yeah. Well, let me touch on the fullbacks really quickly because I thought two of our best players in, in some ways too, although the Netherlands did a really good job of containing them, 
Serginio Dest and Anthony Robinson added a great five mil to their transfer fees wherever they might go <laughs> in the in the next year in that game. And I think what was key to their success in this game was basically in in majority of cases Tim Weah. And the reason why I say that is because Tim Weah was in a lot of cases the only ones making vertical off the ball runs, especially in that first half. And I was really impressed with just his knowledge there to run into certain spaces. We saw Serginho Dust, I believe it was either late in the first half, right before their second goal, uh, Daly Blinn's goal, where he made a darting run in sort of an inverted position, nearly walked through the entire Dutch defense, leaving Nathan Ake in his wake, but couldn't get the, the perfect shot away. But that was created again by Tim Weah creating that space. And I think the Netherlands gave us a challenge. Their challenge to us was, okay, we don't mind. We're comfortable as a team city without the ball. That's probably what they're going to face on Friday with Argentina. But how do we then challenge a team that we're playing to actually unlock us? Because that's a much harder thing to do against that Dutch backline. And I don't, I just don't think the U S had the answers there. And again, Part of me does think this isn't fully on the U.S. I think the Netherlands are that good at really containing space and and being uncomfortable in those moments. But it's the second that that flips into transition again, and I mentioned Memphis, is when they will kill you. They absolutely will kill, kill you if you don't defend properly, if you don't defend very, very closely. It's a nightmare. I will say, Tim Ream quieting Cody Gakpo was fantastic to watch. So that in and of itself is a positive, but... Yeah, it's like saying I didn't let Di Maria score, but I let Messi score. Like it kind of felt like that, you know. Um, so yeah, or the other way yeah. around, however you want to call it. Yeah, I I, I think you hit on a good point there. Like, basically, the Dutch just set traps for us. Like when we had the ball, they they dared our center backs to create, um, and they really put a lot of the like ball progression on Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman to actually get the ball to like forward to um, midfielders or out wide. And from again, the Dutch side, like they were basically playing man to man against our midfielders and just not allowing Musa McKenney or Adams to get onto the ball. And it was a really well executed game plan. Um, ultimately, like, the way they played against us was, in my opinion, like very thematically similar to opponents that have caused us the most problems over the last few years. And what they did again was just daring us to break them down. And then they attacked the spaces left by our fullbacks. The, the big difference between what the Dutch were doing and what, we've seen against like a lot of CONCACAF opponents is that unlike 99% of those teams, they were one better organized to execute the defensive side of it. You know, I thought that Gakpo and Memphis were really, really good at just constricting the field to be, you know, when, when Zimmerman and, um, and, uh, Reem were on the ball, or when one of the centermans tried to drop back to, to finally get a touch on the ball, you know, they basically just funneled everything inside and they were so, so compact in the, in the middle of the pitch. And there was really no way for the, it was really difficult for the U.S. to play through. They got through a, like a couple times, a few times in that first half, but 
it was really hard. Um, so one, they were better organized than, than other, than opponents in the past to execute that defensive side. And then, I mean, if we want to just get onto the first goal, like they are much, much better at executing the <laughs> attacking side of that game plan. Uh, it, it was a 20 pass sequence where they, every player ends up touching the ball for the Netherlands. And it was actually just, just beautiful, like a beautiful sequence. Um, they worked the ball from the right fullback all the way through the back line. And then, um, a pass. I think this is the pass into daily blint that starts this like four pass sequence where it's all one touch and it's all perfect movement. It's all just beautifully timed and takes out basically the entire U S midfield. Um, and then finally the ball gets to Gakpo who plays it on to, to Dumfries and, um, he finds Memphis Depay who was not well tracked by Tyler Adams. Uh, and, Memphis Depay just sweeps a beautiful finish. And, and, and that was like, you know, watching that goal was like, wow. Yeah. That's the, that's the next level. That's the difference. Being able to, to perfectly execute that sequence. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was the, that was the difference in being able to quote unquote unlock sides, right? Like that was what we've been talking about this entire time. We won the midfield battle, I think in the sense that, we dominated possession and didn't let the Dutch in terms of turnovers run over this midfield other than what those two to three times where they actually scored like that, that is all that matters to them. That's all they need. And I think that's the difference between someone like Louis van Gaal, who's been a top, top coach for 25 years versus our manager, who I'm sure we'll talk about the implications of after we get through this game. And one of the other things from, from a Dutch perspective that um, I was really, really impressed with was what you mentioned about constricting. I'm not going to use constricting in, in the same way that you did, but Tyler Adams was, and in some combination with McKenney too, the player with the most, basically the most dropbacks, right? The, the the player that had to come back the most to receive the ball, to progress it forward. But he always had someone following to your point. It was always man-marked. We didn't have a solution to that other than my honest solution to that would have been an extra midfielder, right? That's probably your only solution. But then you lose a numerical advantage against their their back three. So it's that's a really, really hard math equation. Like it's, <laughs> it's really, really hard. So I, th- I think to the point I'm trying to make is Louis van Gaal got that game plan perfectly for the Dutch, for the Dutch, for the Netherlands. I will say this, and, and I don't want to preview the quarterfinals piece too much. I will say, I think their game plan against a team like Argentina could fail drastically and I'll, I'll explain why afterwards i'm not going to explain now but i will say i think that same game plan could fail drastically so as it relates to the u.s rion i will say if pulisic like how do i phrase this if pulisic had scored in that first three minutes whatever it was i think we see an entirely different game and louis van Gaal's game plan kind of goes out the window because now you're forced to come out and that's a completely different position to be in in again knockout football but this yeah one great side against the good side i think that's what it comes down to yeah uh, look 
like everything that we know about soccer uh, is that game state is everything, right? Like that if like you said, if if pool six scores, the pros and cons of having Martin Darune out on the pitch just you know the, the 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 pros of it just start to go away completely right not 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 saying he's a bad player at all like that's, that's still a very good player but he was out there because of the way that the Netherlands wanted to play that game right not because they expected him to be part of like dominating the possession right so uh, yeah we we know that game state changes everything like that, that's 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 more true in this sport than any other one right but um i think as as good of a game plan as it was from from the Netherlands, um, I think you're kind of right. Like it, look, it, it's not that hard to stop. It hasn't been that hard in the last few years to stop us from creating lots of chances and and, <laughs> and scoring goals, right? Like it was a good game plan and it worked perfectly. Um, it's it's not that difficult to do that against us. Like part of it is, you know, um, our solutions like or attempted solutions at breaking teams down and part of it is that the players themselves are are just not quite right now at that level to um break an opponent down whether it's like with execution or otherwise right so uh well i I just really quickly want to stay on that point because a player that had not played i believe at all um in this world cup jesus ferreira jesus ferreira started against the netherlands and we didn't really touch upon it, but he was hooked at halftime for Gio Reyna. And in my opinion, I thought on paper that was the right change, but I thought Gio Reyna actually had a pretty poor second half. I thought he lost the ball in decisive areas. I thought positionally he was strong, but he was taken off the ball, I think, one too many times. And not one, I mean multiple times. So I guess one of the things that I wanted to briefly touch on was you talk about players not being at necessarily that level, right? At the Dutch level. What did you make of Jesus Ferreira starting and that change at halftime bring Gio on? Yeah. I mean, as, as someone who has been more of a bell ringer for and more bullish on, on Jesus Ferreira's inclusion in the team or, or at least his performances for the team over the um, past year or so, it was really poor, honestly. Um, he just, he didn't look ready for that level. And I want to cut him a little bit of slack because that, those were the first minutes that he's played in about a month and a half, I think, like since, uh, Dallas got knocked out of the playoffs. You you might ask, Hey, why did he not, uh, get subbed on for any of the three group games, especially, especially with a couple of those Haji Wright performances, like sub performances, um, how poor those were. You know, it, maybe it would have been nice if he could have gotten 15, 20 minutes in one of the other group games um, to at least not come into this completely cold. But uh, overall, I thought he was disappointing. And um, we saw Gio come on in the second half. And, you know, he played the false nine. I, I, You're right. I, I agree. I don't think that it changed a lot. Um, it was nice to see him out there. He does look like a player that is not a hundred percent fit right now. Um, I didn't think he was like moving around quite as fluidly as we've seen him in the past. So um, who, who knows on the injury stuff? I don't even want to get into that. But um, overall, I, I think that second half 
you saw kind of a, a continuation of of something that was happening by the end of the first half where guys were just kind of dead, like dead on their feet um, at times, right? And then I give a little slack to Tyler Adams from that first goal. Be like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give him slack for not tracking back. But I will cut him a little slack for the fact that he's played every single minute of this tournament, and we've needed him to play every single minute of this tournament. Uh, and he's he's quite I literally he's on the most amount of in this tournament yeah. of any player. So <laughs> I, I I I get where yeah. you're from. Yeah, like you know, you know, obviously you're you're not happy to see him not track that run, and and, and that's really could have been the difference between <laughs> between you know going into the half you know two nil down or at worst one nil down potentially, right? Um, and then you're disappointed with the second goal where Serginia doesn't doesn't pick up Daily Blint on the throw um, on the throw in and the cross, and you know it just looks like guys were dead tired in the second half. They looked tired again, and. Um, Outside of the most ridiculous goal that I think we've seen in this World Cup, the one that makes the like no sense at all, Haji right, where he tries to back heel it and it hits off the top of his toe, <laughs> and, and just <laughs> loops it. I mean, I was when they showed the replay of what happened, I couldn't stop laughing for like sixty straight <laughs> seconds in the bar. I, I just could not believe what I saw. Um, and the and the weird part about it was I thought it was an own goal that entire time. I didn't realize that he had actually I, I I guess I realized that he made a play for it, but I didn't realize it actually touched him in any capacity. Because like logically, that's not the direction of a ball goes. Defied physics. Didn't <laughs> make any sense. <laughs> made zero sense. I, oh, I didn't man. Um Yeah, so yeah, hey, I, I was happy that we got a goal to cheer. For uh, to celebrate in the <laughs> in the bar, oh man! Not in a million years could I have expected it to look like that. But that is one for the for the time capsule. <laughs> so, um, you know, then three minutes later, again on the on the defensive wings, we're caught napping. Anthony Robinson checks inside to to man mark. Um, I think it was Depay. For whatever reason, because, you know, I'm confused because Tim Ream was standing right there, and and that just opened the space for Denzel Dumfries, who was just a killer in the game for for the U.S. and uh, he had the two assists and and then the goal on the third or the yeah scored on the third goal for the Netherlands, and that was pretty much it. And it's so it's that was the end of the World just, Cup for the U.S. It's so bizarre to me how a player, and I'm speaking about Dumfries specifically, who's not had a very good mm -hmm. season, by the way, who is really not, um, comes into... Hasn't even been that this, good for them in the group stages, even. Exactly. Correct. Correct. And I can tell you from having played Inter this past, or this Champions League season when Barcelona were playing them, he equally had a very average two games. But... In that U.S. game, I think he found a lot of space as a result of us giving, you know, Dumfries and Daly Blind that space in behind our fullbacks. And yeah, to Rion's point, that's all she wrote. And Memphis Depay put out a tweet afterwards, as we now infamously <laughs> know, all bark, no bite. Um, I don't know how I feel about uh, him 
watching TNT and <laughs> Chuck and Jack, but well, I, yeah. I guess he does. But um, the guy yeah, loves I American think- culture. He he was he was he engaged to to Lori Harvey, sorry, uh, Steve Harvey's daughter. Um, That's true. For I think like a year, which is or two, which is then they broke off hilarious. Again. I don't know if you saw the other tweet that yeah. he put out talking or like WhatsApping Steve Harvey. Yes. Yes. What part of the simulation was that? I didn't. I must have skipped that episode. (laughs) Steve Harvey did not watch that fucking game. There's no chance. (laughs) No no chance. Well, it's too funny. It's just too funny envisioning envisioning those two having any sort of relationship. But um, anyway, Rian, let's talk really briefly about implications now. The U.S. have obviously gone home for the holidays from the World Cup. I think naturally questions shift towards does Greg Berhalter stay on through 2026 or what is the yeah. next step for this well, before, before, we, team? before we get on to the, to the coach itself, I, I, I want to like bring us back to some positives from this. Story. I know you started. Oh, off so, so, so I should too. just, I should um, just assume that the part about Greg is not going to be positive. Okay, good. No, 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 for sure. For sure. <laughs> Continue. Uh, look, overall thoughts on like, this tournament itself. I, I think it's a success, even if some aspects were disappointing. Um, you know, thinking of obviously the lot, the goals that we conceded to the Netherlands, uh, probably disappointed with the lack of Giorena's involvement. Um, and I, and I know that we felt we could have done better in the Wales result in the Wales game. Right. But people, got to just take hold on to this like like what we hope to be like the foundation of this national team for years to come you know, they got valuable experience um in this tournament and i think a couple other things that i'm feel really great about is that you know tyler adams cemented himself as the like true captain of this team for years to come as well uh i you know from a personal level i think that's awesome to see from like a representation of a black captain of the national team uh and then overall like i feel i feel like people both within and outside the country what i'm thinking about like you know podcasts and that i listen to and and um some like writers that i've uh read over the past week or so people were impressed with like the quality of this team and the way that we played. And there's legitimate excitement about this team going forward. And so I, I think results aside, uh, like overall a, a great success. And there's a lot of things to be, as you said earlier, like to be proud about from, from this team and, and um, how they performed in this tournament. I couldn't agree more with any, everything you just said. I'll, I'll add, my own kind of two cents about it. Everything about Tyler Adams. I actually have thought about that a lot over the last two weeks. Um, I haven't really talked about it with you, even though just it, it hasn't really come up in conversation, but it has actually been something I've thought about. Um, Cause you think back to like, again, the black players that have been on the U S men's national team. I think back to, to Josie Altador. Um, you think <laughs> basically, basically that like 2010 era side of, it was Josie yeah. Altador, Marcus Beasley, Marcus Beasley um, even Marisa John Du Brooks and some, yeah, some Marisa Du, yeah. et cetera. Um, but they were never, I think, at the level that Tyler Adams is 
hopefully going to be at as well. And even in some ways is already. The other thing that I think I'm incredibly proud of with this team is like drawing England, but also making them earn it. And when I say that, I mean, we're talking about an English side that put four, was it four or three past Senegal? I forget. Um, they put three past Wales. They, I think yeah. they, they, they have scored multiple goals in each game that they played in this tournament game. and yep. we they, kept they, a clean sheet. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no. So I, I, I think they, they might be at the top in terms of goal scored in this tournament. Although, you know, the, the Portugal Brazil, Brazil <laughs> and Portugal might, might throw might. that a bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the quarterfinals, but, um, but sorry, go on. A, a, no, I was, I was just saying keeping a clean sheet against England is in of itself an accomplishment and again, growth. So that's what we're looking for heading into 2026. I can't believe that Brian and I might actually get a chance to attend some of those world cup games, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, that that's my that's my positive takeaway. Are you ready to shift focus towards Berhalter, or do you have any more positive? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, it's just it's just kind of like looking ahead to twenty twenty six and beyond. Really, um, is all those good things that I said about these players going forward, uh, or from this tournament? Now, I think that we're gonna need every one of those like core guys to improve a lot over the next four years. Right. It, sure. If, if we, if we want to be like legitimate world cup contenders, cause we saw the levels in this, in this tournament. Right. Um, we're going to need those guys to, to impress. There's a difference between like having talent and being like consistent performers. Right. Um, and that's probably the, the next jump. And, um, the, the, the last thing before we get into the coach is that, you know, the overall quality of the players in this pool also needs to develop a lot over the next four years because we were put in a position where the only way we could get out of the group was if we played our midfielders until their legs fell off. <laughs> and the same thing with our fullbacks, right? And they almost and, did, and to that's, be fair. And they, and they basically did. They pretty much did. <laughs> um, it, it's... It's not how you win like multiple knockout games. It's not by playing the same first 11 for 70 minutes every single game. Like you look at every other team, you need depth. Um, so we need that to improve a lot. Uh, and I think that there's reasons to be hopeful about that when you look at the performance of the youth national teams and the amount of teenagers that are either moving to Europe or have moved to Europe. So I think there's a lot to be, um, hopeful in, in that part of it. And then finally, Elias, let's, let's get, let's get to I've been coaching. waiting. <laughs> um, I, I think you'll be maybe slightly surprised that I'm not quite doomsday or as doomsday <laughs> about this, but um, I think from my side, like, it's, I think it's just time for fresh ideas from a coaching point of view. I actually think that Berhalter has done a really, really good job. Uh, and I said this, I think, earlier in the summer. Um, or even it was, maybe it was like sometime last year after after they, they won a couple tournaments, right, uh, domestically. He's done a fantastic job at cultivating a culture where players obviously really enjoy coming to play for the national team. He's helped to identify and establish the foundation for this team going forward. And 
you have to give him credit that he's instilled the most positive way of playing that this that I've ever seen this national team play. Right? If we think about you know the pressing and the possession, like he's instilled that within the team, and um, we've we've never really seen that before. And so you have to give him plaudits on all of those points. Um, my biggest thing is just I don't think a national team, an international coach, should get more than a four-year cycle. Um, again, as, unless he's exceptionally exceeded expectations. Um, but I just don't think it should happen because I think that, the one, the objective has changed from establishing that foundational core to now we have to build out everything around that. And it's a, just a different objective. And um, I, I would like... I would like to have the coach not go into that objective with like preconceived notions over the past three years. And, and that, that is my fear with, with um, the possibility of continuing with Berhalter going forward into the next world cup, at least. That's super fair. I, and I like what you said about culture. Culture is one of those weird nondescript and, and, you know, qualitative not non-quantitative things that we talk about but i think again i think back to that concept of growth and i think back to where we came from eight years ago and how we've gotten to this point have we improved in wanting or having players that want to play for the us men's national team yes have we improved the quality of the squad and brought on players that actively can help this team go further in global tournaments yes have we at the same time and, and berhalter being a big part of that um, have we established the core of this team's identity? Identity being the way that this the style of play is is denounced, or not, excuse me, not denounced, but pronounced throughout the team. I think so. I, are there going to be tweaks and changes over the next four years? Absolutely. That's going to be the case for almost every single national team. But at the same time, the core fundamentals of strong possession, the core fundamentals of Basically, it, it's going to largely depend, obviously, on, on the growth of these players over the next four years, but a lot of it being very progressive play. I think a lot of it being based on the fact that these players now play in Europe and are deriving European ideas from academies and from coaches in Europe to bring to the U.S. men's national team is a big part of that. And I think Burhalter does deserve the credit for bringing the, the team to this point over the last four years. With that being said, I agree with your point. I do think that there need to be, I don't know if better ideas is the way that I'd necessarily phrase it, but I would, I would phrase it in the sense that I think there need to be more, there, there needs to be a coach that has better experience with tournaments and specific experience as it relates to winning some of those tournaments. The reason being, we saw, I think, a lot of inexperience from Berhalter in this tournament. And naturally, because first major World Cup as a, as a co first major tournament um, that, <laughs> yeah. as, as a coach. But I think that there are other coaches and managers out there that can maybe bring that hint of experience that it's, it's just not possible for him to have right now. As he go, grows as a coach, obviously he will. But I, I do think that time should be done sooner rather than later, might I add. Because the longer that you go on and you know maybe don't prepare for the next world cup. And obviously there are rumors that the U S might be in 2024's Copa America. You want coaches to have time to establish their ideas. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And look, there are a few coaches in the who are in the quarterfinals right now who are in their second cycle, or in Deschamps case, uh his third even. <laughs> yeah. Um and that's why I said like exceptionally exceeding expectations, right? I, I look back at it. Um I mean the last two coaches who have won the last two World Cups were also like in their second cycle. Right. Joachim Love, he was in his second cycle for twenty fourteen, but you know, his his first World Cup, Germany finished third. Like that that's that's an extremely good achievement. And that's yeah, that's enough to I think continue um with the same coach. And then for France, they made it to the quarterfinals in twenty fourteen. The the team changed a lot over those next four years. You know, Kylian Mbappe literally went through puberty, and you know they became like a World Cup, <laughs> a legitimate World Cup contender. Um, I I I think that Brazil's done a great job, like I said, at the objective that was needed for this tournament or to get to this point. You know, we had to fully turn over the entire squad from that disaster in twenty twenty or twenty eighteen. Um, so. I give him a lot of credit for that, but um, yeah, like I think, like you said, a, a coach with more experience in at least like being successful at breaking down like low to mid blocks would also would be ideal. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, I hope it happens sooner rather than later. Uh, I, I would be ecstatic to see us weasel our way into Copa America. I'd be doubly ecstatic if we end up hosting it here that sounds like another opportunity for you and i to to go see some really good soccer <laughs> uh, yes please but yeah i like, like if that happens that's that's that would be fantastic we need to play better competition anyways and and it would be awesome to have the Copa america in the u.s again <laughs> um to kind of tie a bow on on the u.s here before before we head into the break alice um thinking about 2026 from my point of view, I think that tournament should be the national our national team's best ever chance at winning multiple knockout games. I, I'm not going to say like reaching a certain round because mostly I, we have no idea what the format of that tournament is going to be yet. And FIFA doesn't even know, so I, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything like get to a certain round. But best chance at winning, I think, multiple knockout games. But it shouldn't be the best chance that we have at winning a world cup. Um, hopefully that will be in the years beyond 2026. I, I, I'm hoping that with what we've been seeing with kind of the change in um, one MLS academies being established and you know, just an obviously more cultivated pathway to becoming a pro in the U S now, I, I'm hoping that, you know, starting in 2026, that's the first year that we're like, a legitimate World Cup contender, and that keeps kind of going on. And and um, I'm excited for the future, like I said earlier. Love it. Love it. I'm not going to change anything you said. I think you wrapped it up perfectly. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some of the quarterfinal games coming up, Croatia, Brazil, Netherlands, Argentina, and the rest, of course, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but let's take a quick break, and we'll, we'll talk about the rest. <laughs> 